1: Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health.
2: Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities, Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Boon Warrung Country, I'm your host Michael Whelan, joined at the Victorian Pride Centre by my co-host Jacinta Hennecum. Jacinta, how are you going?
3: I'm very well, Michael. How are you going?
2: I'm very well. Um, this week we are reflecting on International Day of People with Disabilities, which was on the 3rd of December. A content warning for this episode, there will be a discussion about some distressing topics, including violence, abuse, mental health issues, and suicide. We will have a link to some uh, supports and resources in our podcast page. Head to joy.org.au forward slash well, well, well. And of course, check out services like Rainbow Door and QLife by heading to joy.org.au forward slash support.
3: So this episode, we are joined by Margarita Coppolino, a well-known advocate for LGBTQA plus people with disabilities and Associate Professor Adam Bourne, who is from the Australian Australian Research Centre for Sex, Health and Society, or ARCHES, as we better know them, to discuss the new report which was released last week titled Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of LGBTQA plus people with disability. So that is a really important analysis of findings regarding respondents who reported having a disability or long term health condition from two national LGBTQA plus surveys. And Adam and Margarita will be taking us through the report and some key reflections on those findings. And we will be speaking to Danielle Melia, a holistic psychologist who is an ADHDer working at the intersection of neurodiversity and gender and sexual diversity. We'll be asking all about ADHD, so definitely stick around to hear from Danielle. We are now joined by Margarita Coppolino, a well-known community advocate for LGBTQA plus people with disabilities, and Associate Professor Dr. Adam Bourne from the Australian Research Centre for Sex, Health and Society, or ARCHES, as we know it, to discuss the new report that was released last week titled Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of LGBTQA plus People with Disability, a Secondary Analysis of Data from Two National Surveys.
2: This is an important analysis of findings regarding respondents who reported having a disability or a long-term health condition from two national LGBTQA plus surveys. These surveys were writing themselves in four, which focused on the health and well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer and asexual young people aged 14 to 21 years in Australia and private lives 3 which focused on the health and well-being of lesbian gay bisexual trans intersex and queer adults in Australia both surveys relate to a range of health and social experiences and including questions relating to disability Margarita and Adam thank you so
1: much for joining us here at the joy studios it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you thank you for
0: having us yeah, it's great to be here, uh, very excited
2: to be Likewise from outside of the desk as well. Can you, um, Adam, I might ask you first, can you tell us um,
1: what is this report and what's it all about? I guess very broad brush. Absolutely. So as you said in your introduction, we conducted these two big surveys in 2019, the largest ever surveys of adults And young people within the LGBTQ community that we've ever had in Australia. And we were really fortunate that during those surveys we were able to engage quite a large number of people with a diverse range of disabilities. What we've been able to do with funding from the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability is to really drill down in those findings in an awful lot more detail to try to uh, to shine a spotlight on what some of their expe- specific needs and experiences look like. And that's what we've drawn together in into this report. We've taken those findings from both surveys and we've mashed them together and we've applied a kind of disability or an ability lens to the data to help us really understand and unpack um, what's going on for this really important part of our community.
3: And when was the data collected and why has the report being created now? Is it being used for something specifically?
1: Yeah, so the data were all collected um, in the second half of 2019. And that's kind of important to bear in mind, because a lot of the data we talk about are about mental health experiences. And so important to remember that these were collected in pre-pandemic times. And we have every reason to think that some of those experiences might actually have gotten worse in the intervening period. And the data um, are, are being used now to inform the deliberations of the Royal Commission, the Disability Royal Commission, um, as they think through how uh, issues of violence, abuse, neglect, and exploitation play out specifically for LGBTQA plus people with disability.
2: Uh, now, this um, new report's only just been released last week, so not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, we've got writing Themselves in 4, Private Lives 3. Do we anticipate that there will be a new edition of both of those um, investigative studies and that we might get some kind of post or
1: concurrent with the pandemic uh, information about those same topics we certainly hope so we would really like to see them um conducted on a more regular basis to take these kind of snapshots of our community at regular time points to see how we're tracking to see what the key issues of concern might be where we need to be directing our attention um, we have uh, also recently published findings from a report, a project called Pride and Pandemic, which was specifically looking at the experiences of LGBTQA plus people during the COVID-19 pandemic. And similarly, we break those findings apart in relation to all sorts of different intersectional groups um, within the queer population, including people um, living with disability.
3: And with this new report, there was a lived experience advisory group who supported you know, this reanalysis of the data and and kind of shaped how the report came together. Margarita, you were a part of that expert advisory group. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like, what was involved in that process?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, When I was actually approached to be one of the people on the Mm -hmm. advisory group, I actually immediately put my hand up uh, because what, to me, it indicated... Is that uh, Adam and his crew were looking at co design of people with disabilities, uh, and to me, that's best practice. So, yes, it was a no brainer, hands drawn straight up. Um, its process itself was uh, very robust, and uh, discussions were had around some of the topics and, and what should be included. And, you know, Adam and his team took that on board and, and really did you know, what we said, our feedback, um, just as in the report, and I think people will be very interested to see all the details that came out of that discussion. Margarita, do you think that
2: um, more attention is being given to the barriers and inequalities that are faced by, you know, LGBTQA plus people with disabilities specifically, and how does that make you feel?
0: Um, look, I think it's fair to say uh, Adam and I are both on task force. Uh, there's always uh, discussion around intersectionality uh, across the all intersectional lens community, and it comes up often, not only in in our setting but in general. And I think now, more so in the community, uh, you know, people are recognising that, that the barriers have always been there and uh, asking what can we do to address the barriers so that all intersectional and communities can participate, be at the table and be part of you know, discussion and partying and and you know involved in everything that the community does. So we've still got a way to go, but you know at least now our voices are being heard.
3: Yeah, fantastic, and getting to the findings of the report, um, I guess which which does cover some pretty heavy stuff. Obviously, what did the data say about the the findings around harassment and abuse that LGBTQ plus people, sorry, that LGBTQA plus people with disabilities experience. Um.
1: Look, there's no way of sugarcoating this. Uh, most of the findings I'll reflect are pretty harrowing. Um, yep. there's some sure of are. the they really are some of the the most challenging data that we saw among any part of the LGBTQ community from among those surveys that we conducted. And that's reflected in the data around harassment um, and abuse as well. We saw a very, very large proportion of young people with disability, more than 50%, saying that they'd experienced verbal harassment due to their sexuality or gender identity in the last 12 months. And that's quite a bit higher than then the then that, and then how that experience was reflected in other parts of the the LGBTQ youth community, where only thirty four percent said that they'd had that experience. Um, among adults with disability, again, a really high proportion forty one point six percent of those who were cat- categorized. Um, as having a moderate disability reported experiencing verbal abuse due to their sexual orientation or gender in the last 12 months. Um, And again, that's much, much, much higher than we see among people um, who didn't have a disability. And we saw that abuse and harassment happening in all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. It was happening in school settings, it was happening in the home, it was happening in workplace settings, um, it was happening in public settings, uh, and, and a range of perpetrators uh, of, of that harassment or abuse as well. But in nearly every instance, it was higher among people with disability. And if you look at intersectional experiences beyond that, um, you saw a higher likelihood of harassment or abuse among people from multicultural communities mm-hmm. who had a disability um, and also um, among young people, among young people with disability who were living in rural and remote locations. Mm-hmm. Does
2: the report go as far as to make any um, recommendations specifically? Um, it sounds like it's quite a, a pervasive, systemic-wide issue that is faced by queer people with Disabilities, as you said, a multitude of different perpetrators
1: in different settings. Does the report go as far as kind of providing any best practice advice? Look, we make the best recommendations we have given the data that we have within this report. Um, And I I think Margarita can speak to some of the nuance about what's required here in more detail and more capably than I can. But certainly we talk about recommendations at three levels and one at the kind of structural and policy level. What are the kind of changes within government strategies and policies that we need to see in order that they be more attentive to, inclusive of and responsive to the needs of LGBTQA plus people with disability, including organizations like the NDIA, in how they think about and respond to sexuality, gender identity and sex characteristics in the work that they do. We make recommendations at the service design and delivery level. So um, for organizations who are providing disability services, to be, again, more understanding of, more conversant in, more responsive to the needs of people with disability who are LGBTQA+. Uh, And then I guess thirdly is a range of recommendations we make for the community level. Mm. So how can we ensure that all people within the LGBTQA plus community, regardless of disability, can feel safe and affirmed in all of the social and cultural contexts in which they wish to live their life like how you know what are we what can we as a community be doing to ensure that all of those spaces and places are, uh, are affirming and supportive of people with disability and sometimes that's about making disabled spaces more queer friendly and sometimes that's about making queer spaces more um, disabled friendly and inclusive
3: Margarita, we were just talking a bit about, uh, I guess, the the recommendations that have come from this report, and about the, especially looking at the intersectional, um, I guess, impacts that there are for LGBTQ plus people, for LGBTQA plus people with disability. You mentioned that there was, a, a, I guess, a bit of a scenario that really highlights how this impacts individuals.
0: Yeah, look, uh, I think it would be really good to talk a little bit about a, a real live case study, whether it's a person with a disability who's transitioning, uh, worked in a business services, better known as the old sheltered workshop scenario, and they experienced bullying by a co-worker with a disability, and they were bullied due to the fact that they were trans, not on the fact that they had a disability. So it just highlights that, you know, what we forget sometimes its not the actual disability that the person experienced abuse and neglect and exploitation is actually normally, in most cases, would have been highlighted in some of the reports, is that it's the intersectional lens component, why they experience it. And um, it's very common, particularly in multicultural communities, where I've known of cases where a person with a disability who has identified as same-sex uh, attraction uh, have said that you know, they experience discrimination in their culture based on the fact of their sexuality. Not, uh, and then disability is a added component to it, but first and more foremost is the sexuality. So you know, that's the way you look at the intersectional lens component of it.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's, a, I guess, lots of those barriers crossing over and the way that people, um, I guess, have to, to face really that stigma and that violence that does happen. Um, I wanted to ask what, what does the report highlight about mental health? Um, perhaps, Adam, if you want to talk to that, but I then also wanted to ask Margarita what it was like seeing those findings in the advisory group as the report was being put together.
1: Um. Oh, look, as I said a moment ago about the data on harassment and abuse, these are um, probably some of the worst statistics you will see or hear in relation to mental health and suicidality. I, I struggle to think of or identify communities that have worse Rates of suicidality than you than you see with with this particular group. Um, as an example, we saw that more than ninety percent of LGBTQA plus young people with disability reported high or very high levels of psychological distress. Um, a proportion that was considerably higher than those um, who didn't report disability within the study. I think what was most saddening for us to see in the data was how almost one in six uh, or 15 percent of young people lgbtqa plus young people with disability reported attempting suicide within the previous 12 months and nearly 40 percent had attempted suicide at some stage during their lives now those are astonishingly high proportions of an order of magnitude more than you see um in many other parts um of the australian population and you know a very very similar pattern or profile of um of suicide attempts and suicidal ideation thoughts of taking your life reflected um, within the adult um, population as well and yeah
0: look i was about uh... When I actually saw the statistics, and uh, thought, you know, if you look at the visibility of, you know, people with disabilities within the community, uh, where are we? You know, so if, for young people, it's about seeing, you know, people out there who represent but and you know, I think there's more pressure on younger generation, um, so. You know, it, it got me thinking in regard to what can we do to create a, a safer space for young people with disabilities uh, who identify as part of the community. So these statistics go down. You know. It's shocking statistics.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly shocking. I think that, um, you know, in some ways it's unsurprising, but I mean, unsurprising given the the low amount of visibility of LGBTQA plus people with disability um, in our communities, but to see it put into numbers like that is, um, yeah, it's, it's full on. Um, and obviously we'll, we do have a, a content warning on this episode, but if anyone um, needs to reach out for some extra support while you're listening to this episode... Um, please reach out to QLife or Rainbow Door. Um, I wanted to slightly shift the topic and ask about the affirming experiences that were in this report as well because... Some of those were really lovely responses to see, but still kind of indicate that there's a long way to go. Could you tell us a bit about what those affirming experiences are that are included in the report?
1: Yeah, of course. Very happy to. Like, I mean, it it was really heartening to see, amidst all of those slightly challenging data, to say the least, that nearly 90% of young people, LGBTQA young people with disability, felt supported by their friends at the point they um, they disclose to them their gender identity or sexuality. And that's a really amazing thing. It's not 100%. It's not exactly where we'd want to see it. But I think that does reflect a greater awareness of acceptance of social support for Gender identity, uh, gender diversity, and sexuality, um, particularly among young people, and I think let's celebrate that for a moment. That you know we are moving the needle slowly, but slowly but surely. Um, it was great to see that. Uh, um, a a majority, perhaps only just a majority, of um, LGBTQA plus people with a disability felt accepted within an LGBTQ event uh, or an LGBTQ event or within an LGBTQ venue. Um, that's about 59.5% of people had that experience. That's good. But it's not good enough like that still tells us that 40 percent of people didn't feel accepted but you know let's sometimes it's important to take a strengths-based framing where we can where it's appropriate, um, and reflect upon, okay, well, maybe we need to be doing some work to understand what is it that those events or venues are doing to help ensure that people are feeling accepted? What is the good practice that we can be building on? Clearly, some people are getting this right. Some organizations are getting this right. What can we learn from those to help ensure that all LGBTQA people with disability feel accepted every time they, spe- they step into um, a queer space?
0: If, you know, when we talk about accessibility, everybody thinks built environment, you know, that's the most obvious. But, you know, like, it's more than that. It's, it's about, if, if you look at uh, carnival when we, you know, midsummer, it's, it's out on the lawn, uh, then you look at where the stores are. You know, for some people, not only people with disabilities, but other people who might use a walking frame, or it might be on crutches just for some reason, or walking stick. You know, the the grass area, you know, particularly if it's damp, which in some cases it has been, it's a slip hat no. And the lawn is actually not even. So that creates you know, they're just little things, but it's really think about that and also, you know, when you're doing events, uh, where's the visibility of people with disabilities? in the imaging of the promotion of those. I mean, if you look at Sydney, uh, Sydney uh, fired um, most of the visuals that I'm seeing are, uh, don't take this the wrong way, I'll be politically incorrect, muscle men, and, you know, particular look on women. Right? Mm. And, and I'm going, but we're all different types of body. I think that's what makes the community really exciting. Where's that? Where was that in, in the... You know, the promo of the the events and and things we do. And last but not least, where are the people with disabilities uh, who identify as part of the community? Um, You know, hosting radio shows or part of the organising or midsummer on the boards of um, all the queer organisations. That tells a message. And that, I think, will definitely change the culture not just ticking the box, oh, yeah, well, we've got an accessible event. It's much more than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, totally. And with this new report being released, Archers are also releasing some videos, I believe, and Margarita, you feature in one of those videos. Yeah, and I do. you. There's a really important part of that video, which I loved where you talk about feeling the need to conform to three different closets throughout your life and how you kind of, eventually broke away from those compounding closets can you tell us a bit about what those three closets are and kind of how you got to a point in your life where you felt like that didn't have to hold you back from being yourself anymore
0: well I actually remember in 2018 I was very very fortunate to be invited to the UN uh, in New York to be on a side event for uh the Convention for the Rights of People with Disabilities, better known as the CRPD uh, uh, Convention of the State Parties. And it was the first time the CRPD actually had an LGBTIQA um, event. And my presentation was about talking about live experience. And I can remember I was so nervous, you know. There were people from all over the world in this room and my presentation was to talk about my three closets and show a photo of me. What I did was, I said, to frame my presentation, I said, look, every day, I have to come out of my three closets. One, I have a disability. Two, I I've come from culturally diverse, I'm first-generation Australian, and in some cases, statistically, that doesn't get picked up because of culturally diverse data sets. And also, I happen to be a lesbian, so every day I have to come out of those three closets to anybody every day. Um, and then, you no know, people in the room will go, Yeah, right, three closets. Well, they're the three of my intersectional things that people notice, you know, uh, in different ways. And then I told the story at that time about particularly in my journey through my intersectional lens, communities, is, you know, I was born with a disability. That was easy to accept on various levels, and the journey to accepting that was quite different to the journey of me being a lesbian of my sexuality. and my culturally diverse uh, closet, I really denied my uh, culture until I went back to the village where my mother came from in 2009. So the journeys of those intersectional areas were quite different. And then I got to, say, about 2020, year 2020, where I went, oh, why do I have to conforming, change my behaviour? And every time that I go into the women's area, the, uh, the queer area and the disability, area, I had to be different people every time I went into those intersectional lands And I went, enough, I've had it. I just want to be me. I just want to. I just want people to look at me, at Margaret, the whole Margaret, the whole soul, um, which is started my my work around intersectionality from my lived experience. If I can be the whole me, people then will capture the whole me, and that's how it all happened.
3: And what advice do you have for LGBTQA plus people with disability who are struggling with those same multiple closets?
0: Hey, look, the first thing is to acknowledge that that's how you're feeling. And, you know, because if you struggle with it, you're not ready to really talk about it. Um, so first of all, just go, OK, this is I'm not okay, I'm not OK with these closets and I really want to seek help and it could be through a personal friend uh, there are a number of services out there uh, that could sit down and particularly provide counseling or peer support. Uh, I would encourage you to reach out don't sit on it for too long because the longer you leave it the harder it is and also I think you know I can give uh, inclusive phone by voices which is uh, the first ever, LGBTIQA plus people with disabilities uh, organisation is now established. And, you know, to reach out to them, and uh, better known as IRV, reach out saying, hey, you know, we'd really like some peer support, um, you know, a safe space to explore the intersectional lens and how to move forward. Because sometimes it might be about not so much them themselves, but how to, to deal with those intersectional communities I mentioned before. So being able to talk through, you know, how to claim your space, first of all, you've got to get comfortable, and then you need to then find, what do I need communities to do for me to feel culturally safe?
2: Thank you so much to LGBTIQ plus disability advocate Margarita Coppolino and Associate Professor Dr. Adam Bourne from Arches talking about the new report that has just been released, Violence, Abuse, Neglect, Exploitation of LGBTQA plus people with disability. Thank you both so much uh, for sharing your time with us today. You're getting Well,
1: Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health.
3: Time to wrap up another episode of Well, Well, Well. It has been such an important episode reflecting on International Day of People with Disabilities. If there's anything that you would like to connect with or learn more about, links to information from tonight's show will be on the podcast page on joy.org.au forward slash well 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 and you can also listen to all of our previous episodes here as well there's also links to support so if anything that you have listened to in this episode has impacted you or you want to speak to someone about what your thoughts are after reflecting on this episode please reach out for some support you can reach out to QLife and Rainbow Door and the other services that are on Joy's support page Michael, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Well, Well, Well.
2: It's always a pleasure to join you here in the studio, Jacinta. And, of course, massive thank you to our guests this week.
3: Absolutely. It was really wonderful to have them in studio and to be able to give their experience and time to the topics that we've spoken about tonight. So, if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover, you can also get in touch with us. Otherwise, we'll see you here on Well, Well, Well next week. See you then.
1: Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org.
0: This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024.